Well, hello, all you sensational seagulls out there. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, sustainability, and conservation. My name is Casey. I am one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined by the wonderful Sarah. Hey, Sarah, what's up? Hey, hey. Um, What is up? I am up. I am up way too often, way too late. I'm just very tired. Why? What's going on? I don't know. Everything's fine. Nothing's going on. I, we were just talking before we hit the record button about fireworks. It's the 4th of July today. So lots of fireworks here in the United States. I That is not a factor for me at all. My neighborhood has been knock on wood, very quiet. My dog doesn't care about fireworks. I just have not been sleeping well. Like I feel so tired all the time. And then eight o'clock hits, which is my bedtime. And I cannot go to sleep to save my life. It's like all of a sudden I'm just wide awake. To be clear, Sarah gets up super early. So eight o'clock is not like, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. not unreasonable. Eight o'clock <laughs> is when I should go to bed to get eight hours of sleep, which is something that I need to get fairly yeah. close okay, to. Yeah. Um, so I you try to get between seven and eight hours. It never, it's, it's not been happening. So I'm very tired, but that's about it for the excitement of my life. Anything going on with you, Casey? All settled in your new house. We're in our new house. Um, we've spent a lot of family time this week, which has been really nice. If there is such thing as a Grinch for the 4th of July, I am it, <laughs> <laughs> which partially has to do with just um, my general, not like ultra patriotism vibe, Mm -hmm. but also the fireworks have just like completely turned me off to this holiday because our dog is extremely afraid of them. So fireworks have all sorts of implications for wildlife and for people and pets and the environment. Future episode. Future episode, but not this year. I'm just going to be my little grinchy self sitting in my house with my very nervous dog. And that's going to be the deal. Also, now that we're in the new house, I'm in my office right now, which is super exciting, but I share the room with our bird. So if you're like, is Casey out in nature right now? <laughs> no, it's just Luna. And she might talk to us a little. Well, thinking calming thoughts for ginger tonight, hopefully. I appreciate it. We'll get through it. Uh, in addition to it being the 4th of July, when we're recording this, It is also now officially Plastic Free July, which we have talked about on the podcast before. It always sneaks up on me. I, because, you know, time doesn't really mean anything. And like, I don't have kids, so I don't have anybody in school. So I don't like keep, I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't really know what year it is anymore. So it's just like, I wake up all of a sudden and I'm like, oh yeah, it's July. So I I don't have a thing. I don't have a, I try to, you know, do something, just pick one change for myself for plastic free July. And I have, or or a change or an action of some kind, something to focus on. And I have not done so yet. So I'm, I'm currently brainstorming options for plastic free July. First of all, that popped into my head is when I'm super tired, like I am all the time and now addicted to coffee, sometimes to treat myself, I will go to Wawa, which is our Mm -hmm. um, local gas station convenience store, the slash best thing in the world. And they have like frozen cappuccinos and it's super like also expensive, but also it comes in a plastic cup with a plastic lid and a plastic straw. And so it is probably one of the larger plastic consumption actions that I take if I go there. So I'm going to try 
and not do that. If I'm going to treat myself, I'm going to try and get one of those like glass bottles of coffee instead of getting the plastic one. So that's my July pledge. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Good for you. I'll keep thinking. I'll keep you posted on what if I come up with anything. If you all listening would like to participate, there is actually an official website. It's plasticfreejuly.org. Easy to remember. You can hop on there. I haven't looked at it in a while, but there's resources and suggestions for things that you could do to get involved. Or you can just think of something on your own, like Casey just did something that you know is something that you do or a habit that you have or something that you use that is plastic that you know that you don't really need and maybe make this your your motivation to what better time than now to try to change up that habit. So last week, Casey, you talked to us about weddings and how to have a little greener wedding or to be a little greener wedding participant or wedding guest. I didn't go to any weddings (laughs) in the last week. So it's a very specific, (laughs) like I, I don't anticipate when people listen to our weekly ones, like most of the time we keep them general enough that like, they're like, Oh, I can remember this, but like this one's fairly, um, event specific. So I'm hoping that someone will type it into their little podcast search bar and be like, huh, green weddings. This is what I'll look at. (laughs) Yep. For sure. So this wasn't so much of a a challenge that needed to be completed this week. I will say though, I have been thinking about what I'm going to wear to your wedding and I am a thread up fan. So I have been looking on thread up. So what I wear to your wedding will either be something that I already own, which is still in a box somewhere or, or will be purchased from thread up. So there you go. Uh, Today's episode is going to be fairly specific as well, but perhaps slightly less specific than last week and hopefully will be something fun for us all to think about. We're going to take a little vacation today. We're going to talk about going to the beach. So Casey, I know we've chatted about these things before, but uh, perhaps not quite this specifically. So I'm curious before we jump to our conversation, do you have a favorite beach destination? And when you do go to the beach, what is your preferred activity? What do you do when you're at the beach? Great question. I've been to a lot of amazing beaches, um, been very lucky that way, but I'm just going to go with the one that we went to every year when I was a kid, because I'm from Pennsylvania. It was only like a two hour drive and we would go to ocean city, New Jersey every year, which I dragged Andrew to last year. Cause I was like, we moved to the East coast. We're going to the beach because I couldn't do it for five years. (laughs) And, uh, and I found out while I was there that it's a dry city, which also makes some sense about why it's so like kid-friendly and family-friendly, why my parents took us there compared to some of the other, because mm-hmm. because we're fairly close to lots of beaches. Um, that one does not have the college vibe right. <laughs> that a lot of beaches have. And I love wave jumping. Like I love waiting oh, really? out. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little afraid of it because we've covered that. Like I'm a yeah. little afraid of sharks and I yeah. respect that that's their domain but it is so fun to time the waves and to like use your buoyancy in the salt water to jump up and try and know that Sarah's vibe. Oh, it's so, I love it. I'm surprised Um, that that was your answer because of other things we've talked about, but it's very beach specific. Like I do. I love a good read a book on the beach 
sort of deal. Last time I went to the beach, Andrew didn't understand why people like to lay out on the beach. He is one of those guys. Like, why don't, why don't you go do something when you're there? But he figured it out. He was like, (laughs) we were under an umbrella and he was asleep for like four hours (laughs) and he woke up and I'm like, yeah, this is why it is so relaxing with the 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 ocean. Yeah. Yeah, It's so lovely. Um, and we just went on like the perfect day too, but I'm also very prone to sunburn. So I'm definitely going to be one of those like moms with the giant sun hats and the really long, like sun Sun cover up. Yes. Um, but when I'm in the ocean, I don't have to worry as much about getting sunburned and it's a very specific thing that I can't do anywhere else. So I really enjoy that about going to the beach. I don't need to do it for super long, but I enjoy it. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I am not a get in the water type of person at all. If I go to the beach, I will walk along the coastline. Like I will go, you know, up to my knees or whatever. I like, you know, just feeling the the waves wash over my feet, but I am one of those not layout necessarily, but yeah, just give me a blanket and a book set golden Excellent. good or I more recently what I did when I was down on Sanibel Island the other week was bring the camera and just go for a walk along the beach and take lots of pictures of the same like five <laughs> different kinds of birds that, that I was encountering along the beach but yeah I'm definitely it's definitely a relaxation destination for me I do remember so I grew up in northern Indiana so obviously not an ocean around but we would go to the Indiana Dunes uh, at least you know I have a handful of memories of going to the Indiana Dunes and that was fun and climbing the dunes was a fun and exhausting activity and down here in Florida I like I'm really not that big of a beach person. I lived in Naples, Florida for a year, like 10 minutes from the beach. And I hardly went honestly, (laughs) but, uh, but there are some beautiful ones down here. I just, you know, I, I, I don't like, I don't like the touristy vibe. I don't like the crowds. I don't like having to deal with parking and walking all your stuff in and getting covered in sand and all that. So I think my favorite beach now to go to is uh, the Canaveral National Seashore, which I've mentioned before, just because there is nothing there. There aren't shops or restaurants or rentals or anything like that. It's not a boardwalk situation. So yeah, you just go and you, there's plenty of different places to park and you can walk right over the bridge to the beach and you know, I've gone there and literally just been the only person there sitting on the beach. It's not always like that, but, uh, but it is fairly quiet. So I enjoy just doing that, relaxing with the book for a little bit. Perfect. So we are going to talk about a day at the beach today. We're going to go through some of the potential activities that folks might want to partake in when they go to the beach and what kinds of things that they can do throughout their visit to make their beach visit just a little greener. So stick around for that. Right, welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us for another discussion here on A Little Greener and coming along with us as we plan a little vacation to the beach. It is summer vacation and so for quite a lot of people that does mean at some point you might be making a trip to the beach soon. I tried to look up 
some numbers on this. It's a little bit tough to, to get accurate maybe or consistent figures is maybe the word I'm looking for, but I did find from the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, they say coastal states receive about 85% of tourist related revenues in the United States, which kind of blew me away right off the bat. Yeah. So I that's what it said. They say it's estimated that some 180 million Americans annually make 2 billion visits to ocean, gulf, and inland beaches, which is more than twice as many visitors that go to all National Park Service properties during the same period. So if that's accurate, man, beaches are pretty popular vacation destinations. Okay, just to clarify, you might not know the answer to this, but inland beaches, is that like Lake Michigan? I would imagine that that would be like Lake Michigan. That's how I read it. When I first went to the, so I knew somebody who lived in Chicago and he was like, oh yeah, we have beaches in Chicago. And I was like, I'm from the East Coast. I have beaches. We do not have beaches. Um, Yeah, no, I was totally wrong when Andrew and I went to the (laughs) Indiana Dunes. I was like, no, this Lake Michigan's like basically an ocean (laughs) And I'm, I like, okay. I, I was totally wrong on that one. Okay. So like it does include some shores, like Andrews from Minnesota, they have an excessive amount of lakes there. So, and they're really generous with the term lakes, but I'm sure there's lots of shorelines there too. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So lots of, yeah, we're not just talking about our ocean beaches there, but still those are, it's, it's pretty amazing. I guess, like I said, I am not a big beach person so reading right. these numbers but you do see all those you know spring break oh yeah and, you know Miami beach crowds and and all of that so I guess man uh so let's talk about it let's talk about what uh, what we can do to be a little greener when we do make these trips to the beach now we did have a separate episode where we talked about general just greening your vacation and all of those tips that we talked about there holds true for this as well, obviously. So we talked about things like how you're getting around are, you know, are there options for biking instead of driving where you're going, thinking about the sustainability practices of the places that you're saying so on and so forth. So we're not going to really go into all of that again. You can go back and find that episode. We might brush on some of those topics, but rather I tried to think about those activities, those things that we might do that are a little more beach specific. So I will start with the one that I don't do at all, but probably most people are going to do at some point when they go into the beach, which is swimming or getting in the water in some fashion. Casey, you mentioned the wave jumping. It's just, it's just not a thing I enjoy, but you might be thinking, well, you know, swimming, this is, it is what it is. It's not a huge environmental impact there. Um, so what I was thinking about with regards to swimming is uh, the attire that we wear. And swimsuits tend to be made out of our lovely man-made petroleum-based fibers. So things like nylon, spandex, polyester, a lot of the same things that we've talked about before with our like active wear, running clothes, things like that. So aside from the sort of production environmental impacts on those, we've also talked about how this type of fiber can shed microplastics as they age and as we're washing them. 
So what I'm hearing is that we should all get like those 1920s, like full body, like cotton. Just, yeah, go swimming. Bathing in cotton. Suits no, big please don't do that. Because can you imagine, like I have a hard enough time swimming as it is. Can you imagine, like I would drown. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all dragging down. It would be, yeah, it would be so heavy and it would never dry. Uh, so no, don't do that. There's there's not a lot of great options as far as what I was looking at. You can find some companies. I didn't even list any here because I didn't really go into depth on any of them. But you can use your favorite internet search engine to look some up and see what you can find. But you can look for companies that are making swimsuits from recycled fibers. It's So it's still generally going to be those same materials, but recycled fiber. So the production costs are going to be lower. That's not going to solve your microplastics problem. So you can think about getting one of those guppy bags for your washing machine mm-hmm. or something like that, that we've talked about before. But Outside of that, it's honestly, you know, we always talk about how doing less is what's better for the environment. So I think a lot of times there's that societal pressure to, you know, get a new swimsuit every year, that sort of thing, kind of like what you were talking about with wedding attire last week. We just feel like, oh, well, I've already worn this one. I need to get another one for this summer season or whatever. So try to resist that temptation. I certainly understand that folks who are swimming a lot might have multiple suits for, you know, while you're washing one, you've got another one, or you have one for competitive swimming versus recreational swimming, those sorts of things, but try to, you know, cut it down as much as you can. I actually do not currently have a wearable swimsuit because I don't go in the water. So when I went down to Sanibel, I didn't even bring a bathing suit. I just, I wore running clothes. I had little running shorts and a tank top. It's basically the same stuff. Uh, so that's, that's what I do instead of getting a swimsuit. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, like I definitely, sometimes when I've had a swimsuit for too long, like for, for ladies, like two pieces, sometimes the, the bum on it will get mm-hmm. a little saggy and all of that. Right. But, uh, I think also just trying to take care of your swimsuit or you're like washing it right after you go to the beach instead of letting it sit in the salt water right (laughs) that's probably going to be helpful for keeping the longevity too and avoiding the fast fashion too like you Mm -hmm. talked about the last time I did buy a swimsuit I just went on Amazon and I bought the cheapest thing that I could find that seemed wearable to me and it was it was a mistake because honestly after the first use I could already tell that the thing was not going to hold up so make sure that you're getting something of good enough quality. The other piece of the swimming that I was thinking about, because this would be what I would want to do if I were going to get in the water, is to do one of those like inner tube floaties, you know, I'm talking about. Um, That's when I go to a water park, man, that's all I do. Just take me to the lazy river and give me an inner tube to sit in (laughs) (laughs) and relax all day. Those are also not great. Uh, So similar issue with the materials. Uh, And again, there are fun ones out there. I remember somebody sent me a picture of a Little Mermaid floaty that like looked like Sebastian from Little Mermaid. I was like, I love this. But but they don't have, you know, again, environmental costs of production and just no end of life solution for them. It's just a lot of plastic material garbage. So what I would say is if you're going to the beach, don't 
bring them if you don't need them. If you can do without, try to do without. Depending on where you're going, there might be a possibility to rent things like that Mm, as well. And if you are living in the wonderful Australia, I feel like Australia has so much cool stuff that they're doing environmentally and sustainability speaking. But I did find a, a, a company in Australia where you can donate your old pool floats. Side note, they also take air mattresses and umbrella fabric. Oh, it's, cool. It's called ploys, P-L-O-Y-S dot com dot A-U. So they have, if you're in Australia, you can mail your donations. I don't believe you can if you are outside of Australia. And obviously that would be an environmental cost as well. But uh, but they also sell material or sell items that they make from these materials. So they'll make like bags and uh, computer cases and phone cases and that kind of thing out of these materials. And I believe you can purchase uh, in from other countries. So you can check them out and see if they have anything that you're interested in if you want to support them. But if you are in Australia, that's a good option for end of life for your pool floats. Have you ever been uh, surfing, Casey? We may have yes. talked about this too. I think so. I went surfing? surfing when I was in Northern Ireland. That's right. Which is like best of both worlds in mm-hmm. some ways because it it's cold there. So it's not like a huge crowded beach and less like great white sharks hanging around. <laughs> um, but we were in like really thick um, dry suits and, uh, and it was awesome. It was great. Yeah. I went surfing once when I was in Australia and uh, I was in, in Cairns, Australia, I think is where we did our surf lesson. And I was horrible. I was so bad. I would like to try it again to see if I could actually stand up a little better. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. The folks we took the lesson from were fantastic. Um, so yeah, cool is experience. Surfing like a big thing in Florida. I'm like trying to think, I'm like, I don't think it's a big thing in Jersey. I don't know. Probably. I mean, maybe, maybe more on the Atlantic coast than the Gulf coast. I would guess. Okay. I have no idea. I, I completely made that up. Surf experts, Casey have, and Sarah trying to. <laughs> I have absolutely no clue. There was nobody surfing when I was on Sanibel. Didn't see any surfers. I have no quieter idea. quieter here than it is in the Pacific. I should look though. I should look and see you if should. there is. I should, maybe I should try to take another surf lesson. Anyway, I did come across, I was not initially planning to talk about this, but I did find that surfboards are actually historically not very eco-friendly in just from the sourcing of the materials that are used to chemicals that are used in the production of them, again, to lack of end of life options for these surfboards. But I came across a cool project. It's called the EcoBoard Project, and this is ecoboard.com sustainablesurf.org. They have apparently a certification program, like a two-level certification program for the construction of surfboards. And then they also provide education on environmental impacts of surfboards. So it seems really cool. And hopefully that means that as we go forward, there will be more and more sustainable surfboard options, if that's something that you're interested in. Yeah. I also want to clarify that like, if you go real deep in the history of surfing, the native Hawaiian people use wood. So like Mm -hmm. at one point was like not a terribly unsustainable practice. It's when we level things up to commercial 
level like we do now and make things out of plastic that you have to start worrying about things like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, so that's what I got for our in-water activities. Now we'll move to Sarah's favorite part of the beach, which is relaxing. And again, step number one is just don't feel like you need to go out and get a whole bunch of stuff. If you go a lot, maybe you want to get yourself a nice beach chair. And when I was down in Sanibel, I believe this was from the place that we were staying. It was like an Airbnb situation and they had chairs. So we had these nice, light, little foldable, collapsible chairs that we could take out. That was really nice. So if you go a lot and you have a chair, fantastic. What I usually do when I go to the beach is I grab an old ripped up blanket out of my closet and that is what I take out with me. So old towels, old blankets, whatever you've got around. Yeah, it's not going to be as pretty. Yes, it's maybe not going to, the sand isn't going to brush off quite as easily as it might from some of these fancier things that you can get, but it's going to do the job for you. So don't buy things until you need them. If you are buying a new blanket or towel, probably going with something like an organic cotton material is the more eco-friendly option over a synthetic material item, just like what we talked about with the swimsuits. So you can look for that. There's a lot of options out there. You can also look for a company that, in addition to the item that you're purchasing, maybe is going to donate or or support environmental causes as well. That's a, a good thing that you can look for. Yeah. I, so speaking as a tourist here, because we only go to the beach maybe once a year. So growing up, we ended up investing in a beach umbrella that we used year after year after year. But let me tell you, that thing was like the bane of our existences because we were not professional Im- umbrella installers. Mm-hmm. So before, like I remember holding on to the base of this umbrella as like the wind's blowing it yeah. and it's turning inside out. And then when Andrew and I went to this beach last year, we just rented one and they put it in for us. Yeah. So I highly recommend the renting situation. Just let somebody who knows better than you be able to be like, yep, the sun's that way. So I'm tilting it this way and I've got it officially into the ground and you don't have to worry about it. Pop it on out and rolling across the beach. And then you don't have to carry all this stuff. Again, yes, that was like, uh, that was such a hindrance to me. Previ- I mean, I didn't have a beach umbrella, but just having to carry you know, yes. the, the blanket and your food and your book and your, you know, whatever else, your bag with your sunscreen and your water bottle and all of that stuff, you know, yeah, just rent it, rent it. If, especially if you don't go often, uh, and speaking of sunscreen, this was another big one. And I was kind of interested in this Casey, you're familiar with reef safe sunscreens, right? Yes at least a little bit. Yeah. We went to the Columbus zoo for my birthday a couple of years ago and we forgot our sunscreen. So we went to their gift shop to buy the sunscreen. And this is not like speaking generally about reef safe, um, sunscreen, but mostly about zoo gift shops is that you're a captive audience and therefore they can charge you whatever they want because they know they can get it out of you for something like sunscreen. And so it was like $14 for like a three ounce <laughs> little thing, but it was reef safe, which was really nice. Cause you know, that's part of their values there is to advance conservation. But I really liked the reef safe stuff that we got there. 
Do you remember what the ingredient was? The active ingredient at all? Sure don't. Sure okay. don't. I man. Is it like zinc? Is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah, so yes. And no. Oh, no. <laughs> Depending. <laughs> so the, because this has been a whole thing. So when I first, like, uh, I mean, however many years ago now, we started hearing about reef safe sunscreen. It was avoid chemical sunscreen, get mineral-based sunscreen was what I had always learned it. So oxybenzone was the thing. I was like, okay, no oxybenzone. Let's avoid the oxybenzone zinc oxides or titanium dioxide like that those were the things that I was supposed to look for and then not too long ago I wish I could remember exactly when this was but I was looking for some sunscreen and I was I was looking for mineral based and what I so I had to go like really hunt it down it was actually tough to find just at my grocery like super center going through the shelves and it's mostly chemical sunscreens and then I find some mineral sunscreen and I'm like okay great I'm gonna try this one out I reacted horribly to it (laughs) at least I'm pretty sure that's it's the only thing I can think of that it was and so I just got hives, I guess, on both of my arms. And then, so I was doing some research to try to find, okay, well, what else can I do here? And I started coming across this idea that those mineral sunscreens were not actually safe either because so many of them now are nano titanium dioxide and nano zinc oxide and those can be harmful to the environment as well. No. So you can't just get mineral sunscreen. You have to make sure that it's non-nano mineral-based sunscreen is now what we're supposed to be looking for. But it is hard and it is confusing. And apparently we still have a lot to sort of learn about how this works and how big the impact is. And hopefully at some point this year, according to what I found, we should be getting more studies or the results from studies. And I'm very, I will be keeping an eye out for this for sure. So what I found from NOAA, NOAA, this is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And I had to write that down because I never remember what NOAA stands for. Uh, But they have a cool a a nice graphic that talks about sunscreen and it these the sunscreen can apparently impact everything from algae to fish coral is the big thing that we at least that I remember hearing about that some of these ingredients from sunscreen can build up in coral and can lead to coral bleaching which we've talked about is just a stress reaction from the coral but it can ultimately kill the coral it can apparently cause reproductive defects or defects in young mussels, sea urchins. It can affect fish reproduction potentially. Apparently it can even accumulate in dolphin tissue. Who knew? But again, still researching more about really how this works and how much this impacts. And then they have a list of chemicals in these sunscreens that can potentially harm marine life. So just to recap, avoid the oxybenzone, but you also want to avoid the nanos, no nano titanium or nano zinc. 
do not blindly trust reef safe labels because there's not really a definition of what that is. So a sunscreen can put that on there, but it might still have these chemicals in it. So you do have to look at the ingredients. Use what you already have first is another suggestion from Noah. Again, if you throw it out, things are just going to leach anyway. So use what you've got first. Don't throw away all your sunscreens and go out looking for non-nano <laughs> mineral sunscreen. Raw elements, I this is not a endorsement because I've never used it, but raw elements is the name of a sunscreen that I saw mentioned a handful of times that is a non-nano zinc oxide based sunscreen. So again, just do your own research, check it out. And also what I learned is that the reason that they started making the nano ones is because people don't like mineral-based sunscreen because it can tend to leave a whitish cast on your skin, which is especially tough if you have a darker skin tone. So that's why they went with the nanos, but then I guess those were more harmful. So just FYI, you may have a little whitish tint after using a mineral sunscreen. Listen, you are the ghost of the planet's future, right? Like you're coming in. (laughs) This is, this is your statement. Um, I just did a little bit more research. Um, the reef harming chemicals, like the Benz, oops, what say it, Sarah, what is it? Benzophenone. Oh, oxybenzone is one, but then there's others. Benzophenone. And there's like oxidate or something like that. Octinoxate, something like that. Yeah. That sounds better than what I said. Um, they are now banned in Hawaii and prohibited in Key West. Yes. Um, so the quick articles I was seeing from USA today said that scientists are a little bit divided upon like how big of an impact this could make on our coral reefs. And a lot of dermatologists are afraid that people won't wear sunscreen, wear sunscreen. Yes. Um, but also if you're confused, the ocean conservancy, which just Google ocean conservancy, they've got a great website. They have a list of what they consider reef safe, um, sunscreens and their um, brands. So I'll, I'll put it in this, uh, doc, Sarah, and you can put it in the description. Yeah. The show notes and I'll put the link to the Noah graphic as well. Cause I do think that that was helpful, but yes, I meant to mention, I actually didn't know that about Key West, but yes, I meant to mention that about Hawaii. So if you're planning a beach trip to Hawaii, this is one you have to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the rest of you, again, you know, use what you've got first. And you can also, you know, use, yes, use sunscreen, also use those other forms of sun protection. There is UV clothing available out now, get Casey's big sun hat and suit cover up or whatever. So there you're going to be a beach mom ghost apparently (laughs) is where we're going for little white hue, big hat. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so that's important for all of us when we go to the beach. This was an, I didn't intend for this to be a podcast on sunscreen, although we could do one of those. But I, again, just having that having been something that I thought I knew and then realized, uh, like, nope, I did, I don't know. Hey, Murray's playing with Squeaky Toys. What's up, Murray? <laughs> Good for Murray. Have some joy. I wish I could real like just make people understand how quiet this dog is. 99.99% and how frequent it is that he chooses podcast time to play and make noise. Hi. Hi, Rue. 
Yes. This is when my cat wants to snuggle is when I have a microphone in front of me. But this isn't about this. That was pet time with Sarah. Yes. <laughs> now back to the beach. <laughs> back to the beach. Back to the beach for another activity that I do not partake in, but I know a lot of folks do. Have you ever collected shells? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yes. Um, I don't do it as an adult when I was younger, but yeah, that was like a huge deal to me as a kid. Like it was like the souvenir from the beach and my parents were parents who really wanted us to like dig in the sand and the Mm -hmm. dirt and things like that. So we definitely had lots of seashells and, and we like, I kept them in a box and like would like take them out and play with them afterwards. Yeah. Well, good for you. Make use of them. Uh, Yeah, I may have done when I was younger, too. I don't have a strong memory of it as an adult and as somebody who is trying to learn about the environment and be more environmentally friendly. It makes me slightly uncomfortable now, but I could not find there does not seem to be a whole lot of data about it. If you just search for it, basically everything that comes up relates to this 2014 study, which when I just read things over quickly, it looks like basically there was a correlation between a decline of mollusk shells on one beach in Spain and an increase in the tourist level. So the increase in tourists correlated with this decline in the mussel shells. And they did monthly surveys. Kind of cool that they did it over. So they did this from 1978 to 1981. They did these monthly surveys and then they did it again from 2008 to 2010. So I think that's interesting looking at that time gap there. But reading through the study, I was like, if this is the one thing that all environmentalists are pointing at to say like, shell collecting could be bad for the environment. Uh, you know, I, I have to question that a little bit. So they're saying that like, there are less empty mollusk shelves, not like less mollusks, just less shelves on the beach. Yes. Is my recollection. I think they did talk, they talked about other things like, could this just be a weather factor or, you know, it's just decline in the overall population. But I think within those individual years, not just the gap in between the years, they were also seeing that, you know, tourists increase, shell count decreases. Anyway, regardless, I'm not faulting the study or anything or saying that we shouldn't be cautious or thoughtful about this. I'm just saying it was interesting to me that that was the only thing that really came up when I was searching for this. There certainly could be impacts to shell collecting, to over-collecting of shells. We know that other marine life do use discarded shells. Shells might help prevent some beach erosion. Shells are a source of calcium carbonate. So there are all of these potential, they are part of the environment. So when you're taking them away, you're taking something from the environment. It's just the question that I have is, do we do it enough to, there's a lot of shells out there. There's a lot of shells. Yeah. So are we doing it enough to actually make an impact? And I, I would say that the answer to that is we still just don't know. Therefore, if you're going to do it, I would say do it with caution. I choose not to do it just because I feel I like I, I just live off of that sort of take only pictures, leave only footprints sort of motto. 
I think that's just the safest way to go. I'm going to leave the environment as is as much as possible. Some beaches are also going to have rules and regulations about this, either how many shells you can take or what kind of shells you can take. So you have to be aware of that and make sure that you're following all of those guidelines. I do also want to throw out the caution to just be mindful if you are a tourist anywhere to be mindful when purchasing any, like I don't buy products made from shells or anything like that either. I just, again, I, I feel like you always want to use caution when purchasing any product made from animal materials, including shells. Yeah. I think uh, a couple things to add again, when we go to the beach, when I was a kid, I remember my mom purchased like some coral and some like dried seahorse stuff. And uh, I mean, she, it was one time. I'm no shame my mom. We had, I had one coral when I was a kid too. Yeah, it, I mean, it sat in our living room. It was again something we used like as decoration for a really long time. But also, I didn't know at that time that they were real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that like dried seahorses are literally dried seahorses. They're not just like the I don't know uh, manufactured thing. Mm-hmm. They're literally dried seahorses. The other thing is, is when I was picking up. Uh, shells at the beach I kind of thought of them like rocks like I thought they were just rocks so I think that it's important if your kids are collecting shells at the beach like I did when I was a kid to to talk about what those shells do Mm -hmm. like who lives in a shell who makes a shell what's part of their body which are ones that they can pick up like a hermit crab versus like a mollusk that actually forms its own shell so I think that's a good learning opportunity to connect yourself a little bit because when you go to a place like Ocean City you see a lot of seagulls and you'll see some other little wildlife, but you don't necessarily get the full, like, this is a habitat and this is an ecosystem sort of situation. So I think it's nice to connect those things and shell collecting is one way to do that. Yeah. If I find it again, I'll, I'll put it in the notes. I did find a one organization that had a basically scavenger hunt sheet for different types of shells. And so it actually identified the different kinds of shells and what species it was and all of that. So I thought that that was really cool. That's a a good point because you can absolutely see how that would happen, that there would just be this disconnect from these shells as being part, part of an ecosystem and part of a real living animal at one point. I walk down a beach and I'm like, God, where, where did all of these things come from? What kind of shell is this? I don't know. So you, I, you can totally understand how that would happen. So absolutely, if you can use it as an educational experience, a fun educational experience, I think that's great. And maybe it even is that, and you can do that sort of scavenger hunt or whatever, and then you don't have to take the shells too. But um, so just that's, it's just, I think worth mentioning to be aware and use some caution and to just understand that we maybe don't fully understand what the environmental impacts of this could be, uh, but to remember that this is part of a living ecosystem. And speaking of which, don't touch any living wildlife when you are combing the beach. So you Mm -mm. may occasionally come across something that is still alive. Please do not touch. Please leave alone. Do not do not do it for the gram. Don't make a TikTok. If it is a marine mammal, it is literally illegal. Do not touch that. <laughs> and even if it's it not alone. a mammal, just let it live its life. Yep. <laughs> All right. On to the next thing that I don't 
really do, uh, but a lot of people do, digging on the beach, building those epic sand castles. You a sand castle builder, Casey? Yeah. Do you just sit at the beach? Is that what you do? That's yes. Like, okay. All right. Like, yeah. It's all, all right. <laughs> I'm like happy for you, but also I, we have a very active beach life. It's I guess, like, yeah, you have, you have no life. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I don't know if I'm at, like, I like relaxing wherever I'm at, but it, I mean, and, and the beach has a special ambiance to it, but like, I don't know. Maybe just relax, read a book, walk on the beach, take pictures. That's what I I do. I guess a lot of my beach time has been spent as a child. So like compared to your beach time is probably more as an adult, having lived in Florida as adult years. I've I've made lots of sandcastles. It is awesome. My sister is very good at sandcastles. What were your sandcastle building tools? We had a couple plastic molds. Like we had... Like oh, you the, had actual like yeah, like the okay. buckets. You know, like you go to Walmart and mm-hmm. they'd have like a sandcastle kit with like three buckets and a bunch of plastic shovels, and then you, that's what you would as a kid carry to the beach mm-hmm. is like your little sandcastle yep. materials, and then you pack them down in there. You got to get the right consistency. Yes, of, and then that's yeah, true. you flip them over, and you've got to like make sure that you get it out the right. It's a science, guys. That's what. And and as an adult, when we stopped doing that we still sometimes would like dig with our hands. And then if we found shells, you would make it like little decorations mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I know that I have done this as a kid. My recollection is that we would just take stuff from the house. So we would have like a few old cups and Tupperware containers and maybe okay. there would be a bucket or whatever. So we would throw a few of those in and take them to the beach. And those would be our, sandcastle construction materials I do not recall ever ever constructing anything noteworthy <laughs> like I think we would just fill the container and flip it over and there would be our shape <laughs> we well we we also had a sandbox at home so the mm-hmm. sandbox like the sandcastle materials would also be used at yeah, home we, I think we did too for a while What I guess what I would say is, again, don't feel the need to go out and buy anything new for this because you can do that. We didn't construct anything great because I don't think we cared enough to, but you certainly could. Like we had, you know, containers of different sizes and different shapes. So you probably could build some cool stuff out of that. It just wasn't my thing. I don't know. But things to be mindful of are just, again, make sure that you are carrying in, carrying out what you're bringing in. Don't leave anything behind. If you are going to buy some actual beach toys, think about looking for something other than plastics. We want to avoid just in case anything gets washed away to sea, Mm -hmm. uh, avoid making any of those more of those microplastics out there. So there are companies that will make Uh, that make some beach toys out of things like bamboo that you can do if you are looking to make those sandcastles. Apparently just straight digging on the beach is a thing too. I mean, I guess you always see those things where people like bury their dad up to his neck or whatever, which again, I don't really, maybe we did that. I don't know. I don't remember ever really doing that, but, uh, but apparently some news organizations down here recently were reporting that this is a TikTok trend. 
to see how deep of a hole you can dig or how big of a hole you can dig. I am not up Sounds to like date a hazard. on my TikTok, but yeah, that was why it was a story that somebody fell in to oh, no. a hole. Yeah. I don't remember if it was an injury or, or what happened, but so they were cautioning people to not do this. If you are digging a hole on the beach, make sure you fill it in because it can be hazardous. It can be hazardous for wildlife as well, uh, for really any wildlife, but we think on the beach here in Florida, specifically around this time of year, about our sea turtle friends. Originally, this was going to be an episode on sea turtles, and then I got overwhelmed, so it became a beach episode, but maybe more on sea turtles uh, on a future episode. There are seven species of sea turtles that are found worldwide. We really have three main ones that nest here in Florida, in particular, the loggerhead, the green, and the leatherback, I think, are the three that will typically nest here in Florida. Nesting season here is considered from March to October, although that's going to vary a little bit regionally. Down in Sanibel, they were saying April 15th through October 31st is sea turtle nesting season. The females, sea turtles, are going to come up on the beach at night. They're going to dig their own little hole. They're going to lay their eggs in that hole, a whole bunch of eggs all in the hole, and then they're going to cover it back up and leave their babies to their own defenses. They're going to head right back out to the ocean. After, uh, I think, a couple of months, those eggs are going to hatch out and those little adorable sea turtle babies that we've all probably seen on some nature documentary or other at some point are going to make their way out into the ocean all by their little selves, which is pretty amazing. But as you can imagine, if they are coming up on the beach, trying to get back down the beach, stuff can get in their way. They don't want a big giant seven foot hole in the middle of the beach to fall into or a sandcastle that they have to try to plow down or get around. If you're a little tiny sea turtle that just hatched out of a ping pong ball sized egg, a sandcastle could be a pretty big barrier. Um, but even to adult sea turtles, if there are huge holes all over the beach or if there is debris or chairs or toys left scattered around the beach, those actually can all be pretty significant hurdles to them. So long story short, if you build sandcastles, great, have fun with it. Try to use beach-friendly materials. Try not to create plastic waste. Knock the thing down before you go. That to me seems like it would be the most fun thing about building a sandcastle is getting to smash it all before you go. Did you do that? Do you remember smashing your sandcastles? I don't think we smashed them. We never built anything that was like spectacular. No, it was sad. What we did is we, (laughs) we, I was a kid who got emotionally attached to a lot of things, Probably Um, too. but we would build them and they weren't that big, but you would build them in an area that by the end of the day, the tide was coming in and it, mm-hmm. you could watch it, wash it out. So that was, I think, typically what we would do at the end is like, watch it go away. Gotcha. Well, that works too. Yeah. As long as it's gone by the end of the day. We weren't, we weren't creating any contests or anything. Like we right. weren't uh, building Which three foot tall. Is pretty impressive. They are super impressive. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yes, knock down your sandcastles, fill in your holes, 
take all your stuff before you leave the beach. Be friendly to those sea turtles. I will say just about all of these things, none of these things that we talked about are the biggest problem threatening any species or ecosystem or anything like that. Sea turtles, all seven species are either threatened or endangered. Holes on beaches is not the number one factor for any of them by any means. (laughs) There are lots of other things that are threatening them. We just don't want to make their life any harder. Again, this is about being a little greener. These are little easy ways that if you are taking a vacation to the beach, you can be mindful of to make sure that you are lessening your impact on the environment as much as possible. So these are steps you can take. And as always, I feel like starting to be mindful about these little steps can help us to be mindful about those bigger things as we move on. So overall general thoughts, notes, just remember to leave the beach as you found it, if not better than you found it. Try to avoid bringing in those single-use plastics. So, you know, think about your food and beverage that you're bringing in. Try to use those reusable containers. Make sure that you're not letting anything blow away or or get away. That could become a ingestion or an entanglement threat to any of the wildlife out there. If you're staying on the beach, again, remember to be mindful of the wildlife. The place where we were staying had little cards in the room about sea turtle nesting season, reminding us to turn off our lights at night throughout that time period uh, to avoid disturbing those nesting sea turtles. Make sure you're not, if you are on a a beach where turtles are nesting, make sure that again, you follow those guidelines. Don't disturb those nests. If you're fortunate enough to see a sea turtle, do not approach it, do not disturb it. Depending on where you're visiting, there might be opportunities to see, to go on walks with approved organizations that have proper permitting, uh, but that is not something that you can do on your own. There's lots of rules around that. That's all I got. Casey, any other thoughts? Any Anything else you want to let people know before they embark on their fantastic beach adventures? Well, first of all, again, have loads of fun um, and appreciate that this is like a habitat that's part of our planet systems. And on the other side of the ocean is like a completely different place. And I think like that's what makes the ocean such a cool place. It's like you go there and you can't see anything on the other side. Um, And I I think like it it makes me happy to feel small in that way. Like I don't Mm -hmm. always like feeling small in nature. Like sometimes that can be scary, but I really like how the ocean makes me feel, um, looking out at it. So it's important to protect. And like you said, this is, none of these things are really the biggest things, climate change, overfishing are, are things threatening our, our beaches, but each of us has a little role to play. And I think modeling that good behavior, cause this can be good, like family trips as a group that you're doing, um, being able to model for kids. So if they've got their little pail that they're making their sun, uh, sandcastles in, maybe say, we're going to fill this up with trash before we get back to, you know, the boardwalk and, and being able to help them model some of that stewardship behavior could, you know, help the next generation of little environmentalists and make that part of, of your vacation day. So, so many little opportunities. So thanks for introducing this one, Sarah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. 
we just talked about a lot of things that you can do, but stick around. I have a few more additional things that we're going to think about as we go into our challenge for the week. Welcome back, everyone. So obviously, we just talked about any number of things that hopefully, if you don't do already, you can incorporate into your next beach vacation. But I did want to go over a couple of other things, some of which you can do even if you're not planning a beach trip in the near future. So One thing I wanted to mention with regards in particular to our sea turtle conversation, Casey, I know you talked about this, I think on our marine mammal episode, probably, but one thing that folks should do if you are planning to go to a beach is to look up what the local number is to contact for stranded wildlife, especially if you're visiting a beach where sea turtles nest during nesting season it'd be really great to have this number on hand so that you know who to contact if you see a sea turtle that is stuck or entangled, or if you see folks who are doing something that you know that they shouldn't be doing. So good idea to have that on hand if you can. And I will share a link from a turtle conservation organization that has a little more info about that. Something that you can do not necessarily no matter where you live, but even if you're not planning a beach trip is to see if you've got a, a waterway cleanup somewhere near you. If you've seen Finding Nemo, you know that all drains lead to the ocean, all waterways lead to the ocean eventually. So even if you live inland, if you live near a river or something like that, uh, I know back up where we lived in Indiana, we would have uh, there would be like friends of the local river that would do river cleanups and things like that. So check it out if you're near one, see if there is an organization that's doing a beach or a river cleanup near you. And then getting back to our sea turtle friends, a fun thing that you can do no matter where you are from is follow an event called Tour de Turtles. Casey, are you familiar with this event at all? I think so. I think Andrew, I think Kristen got Andrew a like bracelet for Tour de Turtles. Yeah. So this is an organization uh, or it's an event where uh, they'll track sea turtles using satellite telemetry and they track them for a three month period after they leave their nesting beaches. And it's kind of like a little race, except obviously they're going wherever they want. So it's just for that three months, they'll follow those turtles and see who travels the farthest. These sea turtles are amazing. The distances that they travel from their nesting beaches to where they're eating, how far out into the uh, open ocean, some of them will go, you know, they're very rarely on the beach other than when they're, they're nesting. So it's kind of cool. This is a great way that researchers can learn more about what these sea turtles are doing, but they will have, they'll follow these turtles. And so of course they name each turtle and turtles have different sponsors uh, for the event and they are all again, quote unquote, racing 
to raise awareness for a particular uh, cause is not the right word, but each one is like, so one will be racing to raise awareness about light pollution or climate change or, you know, in marine entanglement or whatever, uh, something that is threatening sea turtles existence. So it's a cool way to watch, a cool way to learn more about what these turtles are doing and an important way to learn more about their threats as well. Um, they do two groups, I think. So Tour de Turtles has already started. Yeah, so the leatherback sea turtles are already going. They're already tracking. So you can go through and see Certinata, I think, is the name of the turtle that is currently leading the leatherback race. Pancake is in second place right now. Um, and then the rest of the turtles the hard-shelled sea turtles will be following shortly i want to say it's mid-july oh just kidding august 1st they say the leaderboard starts so you can visit tourdeturtles.org to follow and learn more about that i think truffle's gonna make a big comeback that's truffle my, yeah that's my prediction you so you're back in truffle the turtle love it all right Casey, thanks for your thoughts. Thanks for the discussion. Folks, if you have anything that you want to share with us, if you have questions, comments, if you have thoughts about this episode, if you have thoughts about what you want to hear on future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. You can Tell find us. us on Facebook at A Little Greener Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at A, a Little Greener, Greener Pod. Pod. You can find us on Twitter at A Greener Podcast. You can find us you can't find us. You can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. Sort of find us. We'll answer you. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to us. We want to hear about it. I now I want to go to the beach. I'm actually like, oh, sorry. I could do that. No, don't say sorry. I now I'm like literally in the next two weeks, I want to do it. And I'm going to try and take these tips and then it'll be full circle. I've done my homework. So check out your challenges, help save the planet through local waterways or at the beach. Thanks, Sarah. Always a pleasure, Casey. Have a good week, everyone. Bye.